0: visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris.
2: Welcome everybody to the show. We appreciate you listening in on another Friday after a week of a couple of client go lives, couple of all nighters, uh, and uh, just uh, general work. It's time to finish off another work week with another edition of the Work Life Balance. We welcome everyone to listening to the show. I am Rick A. Morris. You can find me on Twitter at Rick A. Morris. You can find us on fa- Facebook at R Square Consulting LLC or www.rsquareconsulting.com. Today, we've got a really interesting topic. We're going to be talking about project management and history, uh, a series of books that's coming out. Today, we're going to be discussing with the uh, author uh, of the book, The First Jeep, uh, and his name is Paul Bruno. Uh, Paul is actually a good friend of mine. We met uh, uh, several years ago through what we call the Project Management Institute Leadership Institute Master's Class, and uh, the LIMC was was something near and dear to my heart. It's something I went out and, and really wanted to understand some better leadership. Uh, PMI, the Project Management Institute, gives you an opportunity to invest in yourself and do that. And uh, Paul was our mentor. And uh, I looked up to him so much, I decided to become the mentor of the next class. And it was something uh, that is his of. You know, more and more meaning to me as, as I go forward. So what I want to do just is quickly introduce Paul. We'll bring him in. And we'll start discussing this book right away. So Paul's got more than 29 years of experience in the fields of project management and IT. Uh, really kind of a glutton for punishment. You'll you'll learn about Paul uh, as he's a glutton for punishment because not only does he have one, but two bachelor's degrees. Right, He has a bachelor's degree in management, also a uh, undergraduate degree in computer software, but then he has not one but two master's degrees. And, and listen to the ends of the spectrum here as you go from business administration, a master's degree in that, and then decided to follow that on with a master's degree in history from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, he's got n- numerous positions in information technology, including the first CIO of city of Henderson. Uh, and he's currently a senior consultant and trainer for the International Institute of Learning and a consultant for Fiala Project Resources. Uh, let's go ahead and welcome to the show Paul Bruno. Paul, how you doing, buddy? Oh, thanks for having me, Rick. Glad to be here. Absolutely, and in fact, uh, I, I want to say the last time we talked is when I did your show. You had a uh, podcast for a very long time. You had multiple podcasts for a very long time.
3: I did. We did some stuff on careers and history, shockingly, and uh, also had a little one on the Bible, and it was great having you on to talk about your career and what you're doing in the uh, consulting world and some of the things that you've been involved with, which are extremely impressive and were just made for a great show. So glad we were able to have you on. And I'm glad to have,
2: have the honor to be on with you. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, and and you know, in my first thirteen show stretch here, the, one of the first people I wanted to reach out to was was you, man. I wanted to to have you on, you know. But it, it's okay for us to talk outside of radio shows. You recognize that it's okay for us to, to to have a conversation when when there's not a radio show involved. So that's that's cool too. Well,
3: you, so you it's, need to take me off. You need to take off the cell blocker though.
2: Stop blocking your phone call that's true that's true or, or, <laughs> or you and I both need to stop having projects that you know have us bill eighty hours a week and we're good to go. I think that that that's has the a other
3: bigger thing. problem
2: <laughs> so you know in and, and certainly you know we're both authors and, and they're labors of love. there's no doubt about it they're they're absolutely labors of love and uh so I'm holding your book here. I did have a chance to read it. It's fascinating as well. Um, and I, I certainly love stories uh, about creation of things that we see every day. And, and there's a lot of people, including my brother, as a matter of fact, that just have a passion for the Jeep. And uh, so your latest book is a uh, project management and history series, and it's called The, the First Jeep. Uh, so how did you become interested in the story, Paul?
3: Oh, it's a great question, and it truly was a labor of love. I came interested in it a, a long time ago, uh, probably about 15, 16 years ago, when I found out. Uh, that the first Jeep was created by a bankrupt car company in a small city north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And that just really pecued uh, uh, my interest because I'm like, how does a bankrupt car company that no one's ever heard of create the first Jeep? And then from there, as I found out more about the story, it truly did become a labor of love because it was one of the great underdog stories in American history that no one had ever really heard about, about something that you said, Rick, everybody sees every day. And so over time, the love just grew. And really the love was to basically try to bring this story out so people would know what these individuals did in the spring, summer, and fall of 1940 uh, to create the first Jeep, and I failed to mention Uh, basically in the impossible time frame of 49 days. So, you know, you you really described it accurately. It's a complete labor love to tell the story of these heroes that uh, no one's really heard about, but everybody sees the um, fruits of their labor every day on the roads around the world.
2: What led you uh, to write this book?
3: Well, in terms of the book, what I realized after... uh, for the first about 10 years of the journey, we tried to actually tell the story through a feature film, and we really weren't able to get any traction on that at this point, but we're, we haven't given up. So we decided that to go the book route and found out that the story was deep and rich enough to um, be carried by a book, and then through uh, research at the National Archives, I filed all the materials of what really happened on the project to a detail that no one had ever brought forth before, and also realized from my project management experience that the project to create the first Jeep had really followed a standard project management methodology. So um, the coalescing of having a rich amount of material and also the a structure, be able to tell it in an orderly fashion going along a structured project me- management methodology, uh, really spoke to write a book, and that's why we called it Project Management in History, because it really, it's first and foremost a project management book, but also an automotive history book, military history book. There was a lot of business lessons that we could put in the book, so it's a fairly robust work. But that's why we went the book route because it was a story. The, at the bottom line was it was a great story to tell from a project management perspective of if, you, if people know the triple constraints of a project, as Rick was mentioning, the scope was revolutionary, the time frame was impossible, and their budget was non-existent, and they had to get the quality right on the first time. So it basically shouldn't have happened. So that's kind of we, why we went the book route.
2: And so, you know, we were talking offline, and not, not to bring our personal conversation into this, but you were saying you, you had, you know, we were talking about my, my uh, experience in the entertainment industry. You said you had some experience as screenwriters. Does that, that correlate to this story? Is that kind of what you were talking about?
3: Well, I felt when I first heard the story where, you know, you can't make this stuff up, that this would really carry the big screen because you had three levels of conflict going on. You had the, you know, this is the summer of nineteen forty. France is beaten, Britain's on its knees, okay, Japan's on the march in the, in the Pacific, then you have at the United States level, the conflict of the army is completely unprepared for this new type of war, and then at the, the, mac, uh, the micro level, you had conflict at the level of trying to actually create this vehicle, basically... While well, the Army had a little idea what they wanted, it was basically out of thin air. As mentioned in the book, in May of 1940, right when uh, Germany's overrunning France, the Army is looking for a small a, a, a reconnaissance vehicle and, and weapons carrier, and they had nothing on the drawing board, nothing in the planning stages. They were absolutely nowhere. And then the guy walks back, goes back to his office from Baltimore to Washington, D.C., and sitting there is the man that's going to help make this project happen. It's just this constant sense of karma and destiny that surrounds this project, as you read the book, is, is just uh, humbling and amazing. And that's why we thought it would carry the big screen. Just an example, one last example, Rick. They delivered the prototype literally on the 49th day with half an hour to spare uh... you can't make that up.
2: <laughs> that's <laughs> it, unbelievable. In
3: terms of drama, it's unbelievable. So that's kind of why we went that route. But fortunately, we were able to bring it out in book form and at least be able to tell the story.
2: So that's that's almost the exact opposite. And I, I don't know if you're even aware of the, the the movie that was made. It was a made-for-TV movie. But I use it in my seminars, uh, a kind of a, a montage of it of a movie called The Pentagon Wars. Um, and it, it's um, it's around the the creation of the Bradley uh, vehicle. Have you have you seen that at all? I don't think I have. I think you you being a history buff and certainly writing this book and, and this one being almost a, a vehicle of destiny, um, that is is an entertaining but not only. So I use that for my scope creep portion of my presentation. Uh, watching the the evolution of, of the Bradley and what it was supposed to be versus what it became um, and, and how that kind of came to be. Uh, and it's all taken from, you know, the, the records and, and history of it. Uh found that to be a pretty fascinating story. Um, it, and it's done with a humorous slant. so you have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but uh, definitely uh, talks about the uh, how things can evolve and that kind of stuff, which I found in stark contrast to to what you wrote, right? <laughs> for for where it actually works, to where this was, you know, ten, to, uh, it actually spanned three or four presidents, and and um, what what it was intended versus what was actually delivered. So, what was involved, uh, kind of in your journey to 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 publish this book?
3: Well, the, the biggest part of the journey was. Um once we decided to do the book we had a certain amount of material we had worked with developed a screenplay but was to really to go to the archives and find uh, if it was available the definitive amount of documentation to be able to tell the story and fortunately for well to me for history during the war there was a case brought by the Federal Trade Commission against a company called Willie's Overland, which people who know the Jeep know that Willie's eventually built the bulk of the half of the Jeeps for the war with Ford. But they were, at the time during the war, saying that they had created the first Jeep, and the Federal Trade, in their advertisement in the Federal Trade Commission, said, we don't believe that to be true, so they brought a case against them. So what you had was, in this case file, a whole, just from soup to nuts, all the documentation surrounded the procurement of the first Jeep, which was eventually credited to being created by the American Bantam Car Company. But even more importantly, they had basically taken testimony from everyone and anyone who had anything to do with the creation of the first Jeep. And what I realized, as you mentioned, I have a master's in history, I was flabbergasted. I realized that I had a complete oral history of the project told by all the people who had been involved only a few years after the events, so their memories would be good, because they took the depositions in 44, 45, but even better than an oral history an oral history, you know, I could interview Rick, and, you know, you, you, yeah, you, not that you would, but somebody might, you know, twist the facts a little bit, maybe make their part look a little <laughs> bit better. But in this particular sure. case, these people were under oath to tell the truth or under, uh, or under Paul, penalty gonna... of perjury.
2: Oh, yeah, go ahead. And I apologize. I'm going to stop you right there because we do have to take a quick break, pay our sponsors, and uh, I want to pick back right up there where people are under oath. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Barnes.
1: Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today.
0: Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, Visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy.
2: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: You are tuned in to the work life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at one 472 5790 Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the work-life balance.
2: And we're back. We're talking today with Paul Bruno. He's the author of The First Jeep. It's a project management and history series. Paul was just in the middle of the story before we had to go on break, I want to bring him right back to that, uh, where you were actually going through some of the archives, trying to get some great information, Uh, and then the best part about that is that uh, the testimony was actually under oath, so versus what I do in my presentations, I'll go ahead and admit it, right, every time I tell a story it gets just a tad better, right, I'm just a little (laughs) bit more of a Superman every time I tell my stories, but uh, in this case these guys are telling uh, what happened under oath, so go ahead and uh, proceed, Paul.
3: Exactly, and that would mean that it would have avoided any exaggeration or maybe tilting of the truth a little bit that you might have in a you know an, a ra- an average oral history because if they didn 't tell the exact truth as exactly what happened they were they could be charged with perjury, so between all the documentation of what happened plus the the people telling what they had what they had done, we had the a complete story to be able to tell it in the book from both presenting the documentation and presenting what the documentation was because the people told what it was. But I can tell you one quick story uh, from the uh, testimony, Rick, just to kind of give you the level of That'd amazingness yeah. of uh, what was there. Uh, they had a test driver uh, testify. So I said, hey, this would be great. I'll copy all this. And we'll learn a little bit about how they tested the vehicle. We'll include that in the book. Well, long story short, this test driver also ended up testifying how did the Jeep get its name, which has been a controversy for 75 years. And he testified that the Jeep got its name, that he, this unknown sergeant, in a fit of anger, named the vehicles the Jeep. Just because he somehow related these vehicles, which were not known as Jeeps at the particular time, to the Eugene the Jeep comic strip character who had magical powers and could do anything. So, for the first time in our book, from the best testimony in history, but from the person who was there on site in the fall 1940, we finally know how the Jeep actually got its name. So that's kind of the value
2: that's in this book among some other things. Go ahead, Rick. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, now, do people still want to argue with you about that, though?
3: They can, but this is a guy that's under oath. They flew him in directly to testify of how the Jeep got its name because they were trying to figure out, again, who had created the first Jeep and what had actually happened in that time period. So I think it's the best um, evidence we have of how the Jeep got its name and it was buried on page three thousand six hundred of the testimony, which is why I think it never came out before. People forgot that this was there and that this gentleman had said, This is how the Jeep got its name. I was there, this is what happened, and it's after this before this time, no one called it Jeep. After this incident that's described at the end of the book happened, people started calling these vehicles Jeeps. So
2: I'll stick to that's it. Fantastic.
3: <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs>
2: Not, not only that, but now you've got a great way to get free drinks at a bar, right? So, <laughs>
3: oh yeah, I tell everybody write this one down, and you know you can use it to impress people at any cocktail party. Absolutely. <laughs> other so, got
2: its name. Other than both of us, you know, having a passion and love for project management and something that we we do and practice and teach and and, and apply to our not only professional lives but our personal lives. Now, why did you use project management as a structure to write this book?
3: Oh, yeah, great question. The, the main reason was as I went through the documentation and was organizing it, um, I realized it went just straight down a, what we would call, you and I, a waterfall uh, project management methodology. They had, first they had to get the uh, general requirements, then they had to put together the specific requirements, then they had to put together a, a bid package to send out the people to bid, get the bids, analyze the bids, award the contract, build the product, and test it. And it went right down that line with all the twists and turns and things that can happen on a project. And so that formed a great spine to be able to tell the story. In the first chapters of the book, we give a little bit of an overview of, of the companies and the players um the players. And then we talk a little bit about the environment. And then in Chapter 3, we talk about um, the preparation of the Army, the stakeholder. And then we go right down the line in a waterfall project management methodology. After that, general requirements, specific requirements, uh, bid, you know, bid proposal, uh, bid contract, uh, build test. And it it was just a great way to
2: tell the story. And so did you find in the documentation, that kind of stuff, a lot of the risk management, risk mitigation, any of that kind of stuff, did you find as you were going through the historical archives?
3: Oh, another good question. Um, they were following a project management methodology, but it was they were moving at such a fast pace that some of the things that we would normally do included building a plan to actually build it. <laughs> and maybe a risk mitigation plan, they really didn't have that there. Their risk mitigation plan was, okay, we've, we've, we've come upon this problem, now how are we going to fix it? <laughs> Especially during the, um, the building, uh, the 49 days of building it. Uh, they worked almost around the clock, and it's come to me recently that really what they did in terms of the speed of this whole procurement and then the sacrifices they made in 49 days to bring, bring the product uh, to life was almost a precursor of what the, at least the American people and many other people around the world, were going to do just a few years later. They were almost like a preview of the sacrifices and get anything w- done, whatever we have to do, whatever obstacles we have to overcome, we will do it. So they didn't really have a standard risk plan. It was more sheer determination that anything that they over that came up ended up, which we might have identified, Rick, like you said, as a risk. If they'd taken the time to do it, they just said, "We're going to get this done, whatever it takes," and they they were able to do it with a half an hour to spare.
2: So, so basically, their risk mitigation plan was brute force. <laughs>
3: You know, as much as I hate to say it, and I would not recommend doing it that way, (laughs) but in their case, you know, they were given an artificial deadline, which everyone, when I say everyone, all the experts at the time, including at Ford, including at Willys, um, said was not possible. In fact, when the bids came in and only four companies even showed up out of 135 that they sent the request for proposal to, Two of the companies that showed up to, at the uh, bid opening said we're not even bidding because 49 days is impossible. Willie said they could do it in 75 days. America Bantam was the only one that says we'll do it in 49 days. Only one, and they did.
2: Wow, that's that's putting your guts on the line too, right? That's that's you know everybody looking at each other, pulling the gut check, and saying we you know we're going to pull this off. It's, There's so many great stories of American ingenuity of just you know general human ingenuity. uh, When when you hear stories of that, and again, you know you it's it's no wonder there's that passion and that following that you know the Jeep itself has. In in when you find out the roots of the story and in the the almost amazement of of how it came to fruition. then, then you start to, to realize why. But I wonder how many people out there that, you know, are in these Jeep gloves or have these passions for the Jeep um, even realize the story exists or how it even came to be. So, you know, that that I think is an uh, interesting point for the book or interesting market for the book for you.
3: Oh, uh, very true. And we're still working on reaching, you know, those types of markets. And truly, you know, if you have the book, uh, there's right on the front cover is a picture of the very first Jeep right after it was completed of assembly, they actually took a picture. September 21st, 1940, and all the heroes that were the ones that did it there. And in my mind, the Jeep Wrangler is probably the closest to the original Jeep. But in every Jeep ever built, truly is still the spirit and the mechanical genius and ingenuity of those individuals that are in that picture. Just what they did to take their specifications and build it, the the, the base of what makes a Jeep a Jeep is still from what those individuals put in it. And that, that's very humbling for me as I see it, every Jeep that I see on the road, I remember these people. And going back to your first question, it was wanting to give these people who have been forgotten by history the credit that they deserve um, uh, was one of the real reasons that we wanted to bring the book forward.
2: So that's a that's, that's uh,
3: critical point.
2: Yeah, and for anybody who's interested in reading this book, getting this book, uh, please visit www.thefirstjeep.com. It's a great place to uh, go get it. Uh, I'm sure all the other outlets have it. Uh, Amazon as well. You can get it uh, just pretty much anywhere. Um, but uh, it's www.thefirstjeep.com. You guys can uh, find uh, Paul there as well. Uh, Paul, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, I hope everyone will join us right after the other side of this. You're listening to Work Life Balance.
0: This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you, turn left ahead, the digital road signs that direct you onward, and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto-drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless, but only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com.
1: Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to The Work-Life Balance.
2: And welcome back to this Friday afternoon. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. My guest today is Paul Bruno. He is the author of the first Jeep. Uh, it's a project management history series. Paul's also my former mentor, somebody I reach out to in the project management industry. Uh, also former uh, podcaster himself. He had about uh, seventeen thousand different Czar shows that uh, he ran. <laughs> uh, history Czar, Project Management Czar, the guy who knows everything Czar. Uh, but certainly. One of the most intelligent people uh, I know, uh, fascinating guy. I, I know every time we got a chance to get together, Paul, we'd get into conversations and just uh, who knows where they would end up, right? But uh, it was always fun and fascinating to talk with you, as is today, uh, as we discuss your book, The First Jeep. So, you know, other than being a Jeep enthusiast or maybe even a project management enthusiast, you know, why should anyone else read this book?
3: Yeah, first I got a comment on that. Uh, the guy who knows everything, Czar, that goes with my humility
2: that I'm trying to peddle
3: here, okay? So just, just in case anybody out there wants to know that. <laughs> you
2: know,
3: we've got, to, got a little humility here we've got to work with, but why should anyone read this book? Truly, it's to be inspired. I mean, one of the things that really just I loved about this story is this was just a bunch of average people that no one's ever heard about who is basically trying to save their company goes bankrupt because that's the other reason where you said why would it make a great feature film? It was all or nothing for these guys. Okay, it was you either get this contract to build this vehicle for the army or your company is done. So one roll the dice, and it's just so inspiring to see that you as a you as a project manager, me as a project manager, or anyone out there listening or hears this podcast that you could be working on something that you don't know that could be changing history. They had no idea they were making history, changing history, building this vehicle. That probably on the road there is no other vehicle that was created 75-plus years ago that's still out there. So I think that's the real reason to read this book, if you're just in general interested, um, is to be inspired and that you too may be working on something that maybe not that could change history, but you don't know, then obviously to me, and of course this is a completely biased opinion, I think anyone who drives a Jeep or loves the Jeep, you know, should honor these men by reading their story and seeing what they did and the sacrifices they made, and the genius that these individuals were, were Harold Chris, Ralph Turner, Chester Hempfling, Carl Probst, Frank Fenn, et al., that they built into this vehicle that anyone that loves a Jeep,'s driven a Jeep, drives a Jeep, uh, you're still um, being able to take advantage of uh, their talents and ability and what they did. So I think that's some key reasons why I would encourage
2: anyone to pick up the book and uh, read it. Well, you know, as I read through it too, Paul, it was written kind of truly in in, in a multidimensional way. So I I, I definitely want to applaud you on that. So, you know, you can read it as a historical book, right? So historical value. You can read it as an educational book. So you put notes at the end of each chapter to say, you know, educational questions, educational thoughts, right? What's the educational value of each chapter? You also had 47 entrepreneurial lessons, uh, that you garnered or, or thought you know were, were valuable based on you know each step of the process that went along the way. What what was kind of your thinking in, in putting together the book that way as well?
3: Well, again, an excellent question and a gr- great term, which is hidden copyrighted. I will now steal forever. Multi-dimensional, love that. Um, the reason put it that together was to show the richness, richness and depth of the story. Right. There's so much there that just telling it one way didn't seem to be to do the story justice. And so to make it to have a greater market appeal, Rick, just as you described it very, very well, we've made it so that it's a project management book. It's an automotive history book. It's a military history book. It's a business book. It can be an entrepreneurial book um, and it can be, you know, you know, uh, sold at museums. It could be sold in the act, You know, for make a great recommended book uh, for classes uh, in history or classes in project management at the at the college level, even at the high school level. Uh, but it was really to bring out the complete depth, breadth, height, width of the story that happened in 1940 that created one of the one of if not the most iconic vehicles. Uh, or products ever created so just to give it as broad a market as we could so that the bottom line our overall macro desire to have as many people want to have a reason to read and hear about this story and honor these individuals uh, who did these amazing things back uh, in 1940 so that's why we did it that way
2: well and certainly you know your passion for for the product comes out when we talk and you know, both of you—I uh, say both of you, both of us—you know—are very passionate about the topics that we discuss, and the, and so you know, it's it's great to, to to hear your purpose, you know, behind this and the passion. Um, we certainly have got you know plenty of time left. Is is there any particular story or or you know one of your favorite portions of this? You you already talked about the naming of the Jeep, uh, which I found fascinating. Is there is there something else in particular you'd like to discuss?
3: Oh, my God. Well, first, I'd just like to mention that we were very, very blessed, going back to writing it multidimensionally, that we were won an award from the Military Writers' Society of America for how well the book was written. So we were really excited about that. Um, oh, I could go on for you know the rest of your life, uh, Rick, so that could be a problem. Uh, but let me just tell you one quick story. Uh, there was a drawing, in, and it's on page 88 of the book, uh, that had been out on the internet for years. And people would say, this is probably the drawing of a first Jeep type vehicle. Well, I actually held a copy of the original drawing in my hands at the archives, which was very humbling. But then in the testimony, I found out when the drawing was done, who drew it, why it was drawn, and everything about it. So for the first time in 75 years, we, at which I say we, my myself and my editor and uh, publisher and um, the writer of The Lessons, Max Friedman, who has uh, 50 years in the business world, so he he wrote The Lessons, so I want to give Max a plug. We were able to tell, we named the drawing the Beasley Brown drawing because the individual said, we were in a meeting, here is where we were. They took a yellow scratch pad and they sketched out what we thought this vehicle would look like. And how it, you know how it might set up, and so that 's a clue of page eighty eight and what 's really nice is then I was able to find the con- the drawing that the army created, okay called 8370 uh, z and that was the drawing that they sent out to all the um, companies uh, to to bid against and what 's really nice is you can see from the Beasley Brown drawing as you as a project manager, as the scope and what they were trying to figure out that we'd do, you can see the evolution from that first drawing to the second drawing. So That's some of the nice things that I really like in the book, is you can, you can see the thing coming together step by step as they solved each level of problem. So that's one of my nice stories I like to tell about being able to identify you know, that drawing from merging the exhibits with the testimony which we discussed earlier.
2: And so the picture on page eighty eight looks like a smart car. That's what it looks like.
3: <laughs> and it's pretty amazing when you see it there. And and then yeah. how be, the next drawing is on page, if I can find a quick here for you, on page one oh four. I think uh quartermaster drawing zero eight three seven zero dash Z. I have never seen that before anywhere so in our book, that's like the first time it's been brought out um, you know, for the general public to be able to see. So there's a lot of that type of documentation in the book uh, that people can see for the first time of how where the origins of the Jeep came from and how it came along through the project. And, and the other thing is I like to tell I was very, very blessed by a gentleman named Bob Brandon who had a lot of the original photographs that they took while they were actually building the prototype. And they're included in, uh, I'm going to make sure I get the right chapter here, uh, the build chapter, uh, chapter 8. And so you can see from these um, photographs, you know, the actual vehicle coming together. Can I tell one other story about the blueprints, Rick? Do we have time for that? Take me about you one got, minute like... uh,
2: you got two minutes.
3: Uh, I could do it in a minute. I was told by every single person that knew about the Jeep that the blueprints, all the blueprints from the first Jeep were gone. That is not true. I'm sitting looking through the archives. The next thing you know, I start pulling out. I reach the exhibits in the case, and I start pulling out blueprints. And I'm like, this looks like a blueprint. Long story short, they did put in blueprints, and some of them are not in the the file were the file but at least there were 3 actual blueprints of parts from the very first jeep and our book brings has a copy of one of those blueprints the clutch shaft lever in the book and i got to held that hold that in my hand and that was just an exciting moment saying i'm holding a blueprint from the building of the original first jeep you know all i could say is only in america could that happen so Again that's some of the rich in depthness that someone can get if they uh you know purchase our book uh in terms of the detail that was brought to bear on the story
2: well and I can promise you promise you this my uh my brother's uh, in the military he's in Korea and has passion for these, so I'll be purchasing a copy and sending it to him so that uh he can he can learn all about this so we're going to come back. Um, I've got a couple of other questions for you. I'm going to actually, I, I may even take you off into a different direction a little bit in this last segment, but uh, come back and finish this uh, episode with us. We're talking to Paul Bruno. He's the author of the first Jeep. You're listening to Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris.
0: Today, Every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad, it's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment, and not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you, Turn left ahead. the digital road signs that direct you onward, and the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto-drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless, but only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com.
1: Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance.
2: And welcome back to the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris. We're talking to Paul Bruno. He's been the author of The First Jeep. And so the, the part about this book also that, that drew my attention and kind of leading me to my next question for you, Paul, is that it says this is a project management in history and then the key word, series. So that being a series is leading me to believe that there's a few more of these that are coming out. So do you want to comment? Do you not want to let the cat out of the bag? That's okay, too. You can keep us guessing, but you've got a couple that are in the works. I'd love to hear about them.
3: Oh, I don't mind commenting a little bit. Um... One I won't say too much about is there, the next one, if we can find the documentation and the story is there, would be a continuation, the second half of the early cheap history. Uh, basically, some things that happened after November 1940 to November 1941. So if we're able to put that together, that would be the next one that I would love to do and have a complete set on early cheap history. And what happened? Told from a project manager perspective. Uh, after that, I had some ideas. I live only a half an hour from Hoover Dam, so that's a oh, wow. Iconoclastic? Is that actually a word? Is that the right word? I don't here? know. But
2: <laughs> it sounded I'm fascinated kind of... <laughs> by engineering feats like that. You know, that just exactly. I'm fascinated by those things.
3: Right, absolutely, and so are many other people, and. Um, I think it would make a great book from both a project management perspective but also a program management perspective. But, again, you have that wide-ranging like we had with the Jeep book. You have, it could be you know, engineering, you are got to have history, engineering history, uh, you know, construction history, project management history, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, it's a book with a wide-ranging market as well as um, well-known uh, projects. Then I thought about maybe doing uh, the Panama Canal from a project management perspective, uh, one that might not have as much of a market, but you never know. Uh, the B-17 bomber has always fascinated me. So that would be a good one. And then another one possibly down the road is the Transcontinental Railroad built in the 19th century um, here in the United States of America, looking at that as a, from a project perspective. So there's some pretty good projects out there, and... It's always a matter of can you find the documentation and material to be able to tell the story, and we'll just take them one at a time, and we'll see what we're able to bring bring out uh, as uh, time uh, goes by. But I appreciate you asking about what may be coming down the pike.
2: Well, and, it, and it's also almost self-serving in a way for you, too, right, with your love and passion for history that, I, I can almost see the excitement, almost, you know, the, the, the Christmas morning for you as, as you're unpiling these archives and going through this stuff, not only wanting to, to have that end of, of a great book, but just the, the learning process that you're going through and piling through this. uh has to be fascinating for you as well.
3: Well, that's absolutely true in terms of I get to merge my two greatest loves, you know, from a career standpoint, which is project and program management and history and I do really enjoy going to the archives, and, and, and I, I can feel the people, feel the history and the document, documentations are there. Of course, hanging out at archives when I was in my 20s wasn't really good for my social life, but that would be for the social life show that you're going to start later on. But we'll talk about that at another time. But right now, it's just, you're absolutely right. I, I love this. Is, this is a, a labor of love, so it's almost not like work. <laughs>
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, are you planning a, the potential of a lecture series or something like that, you know, maybe merging that, uh, you know, you know what I do for a living, and, and I could see PMI chapters, you know, lining up to to hear this story.
3: Well, another great question. Actually, I have spoken at some PMI chapters. I'm scheduled to speak at the PMI uh, Project Management Institute, for those who might not know what PMI is. Uh Mile High Symposium in April, but even better, I was chosen to be the keynote speaker at the Society of American Military Engineers conference. And for anybody listening out there that's looking for a speaker, which um, Rick will tell you, I'm very shy and it's hard to get me to talk, but I could come. (laughs) Okay, that's totally not true. (laughs) But again, going back to the whole breadth of this uh, um, story, I, 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 any speaking engagement that I'm privileged that someone might have me go discuss, I'm more than happy to, but museums, automotive museums, um, military history museums, uh, you know, uh, project management, uh, obviously conferences, but like this, where I'm going to have the privilege of being the keynote speaker, American military engineers. So it's a great story and it's kind of a non-traditional topic that a lot of people get excited about when they're at a conference to go, wow, there's a discussion about the first Jeep, and it's not you know the 75th conference, you know, talk I've heard on X, Y, and Z, which, not to say those talks are not um, important, I'm I don't mean it that way, but right. yeah. it's, it's a really unique topic for people to include in a conference and stuff like that, and I'm always humbled and grateful if I get the opportunity to go speak on it, because again, it gets the story out there.
2: And so the best place then to reach you, if, if I wanted to book you then for that conference, would that be the, the firstjeep.com? dot com? Is that the best place to get to you?
3: Yeah, we have some we have some contact information out there um, that people can then you know they can write the you know the contact information. I'm just double checking that right here. The uh, and just do the contact us, and yeah, they can contact through that and. Uh, and we 'd be more than happy to talk to anybody about speaking at their uh, their seminar or their uh, conference or whatever else where the uh, this story might be a good fit for them
2: so then you guys heard it here if you 're an educator if you're in, you know if you have any type of conference, whether it be project management, automotive history, education, entrepreneurial spirit, or just want to hear a great inspiring story, please reach out to uh, Paul Bruno. you can reach him at the you can go to the contact contact us link. Reach out to him. He is a fantastic speaker. I've gotten a chance to see him personally, so you're getting an endorsement directly from me as well. Uh, And Paul, I can't thank you enough for being on my show uh, and joining us and sharing this uh, wonderful story. Uh, And I look forward to uh, the next edition as I'm a fan and uh, will be a purchaser as well, buddy.
3: Oh, thanks, Rick, for having me. It was an honor and a privilege and wishing you all the best of luck in your myriad of uh, activities and things you're involved with. I have deep respect for you and what you've accomplished and are accomplishing in your career.
2: Thank you, Paul. Thank you, everyone, who is listening to the Work-Life Balance. Next week, uh, we're actually going to have Greg Huffman on, who helped me start r Square Consulting. He and I worked together in three or four different organizations together, and, and he took the, the logical or illogical leap, we'll say, uh, of joining me when we started r Square Consulting. And uh, we're going to be discussing what we call uh, dancing with a 900 pound gorilla, which is a a series of sales strategies, uh, uh, but how to sell correctly and how to sell with integrity. And how, if you do the right things and if you sell the right way, it comes back to you. You don't have to be dirty, you don't have to be ugly, uh, and don't have to scrape and, and, and scramble and do all of the dirty activities in order to run a successful business. So, it should be a fascinating conversation. Uh, Greg's got some fantastic sales strategies he's going to be sharing with people. And it's a great way also to tune into the Work Life Balance. So we appreciate everyone listening. We look forward to talking to you next Friday here on the Work Life Balance. This is Rick Morris. And for my guest, Paul Bruno, thank you so much for listening.